Namaste from Nepal. This is Ross. Welcome to installment 14 of the show. Today we're going to talk about the Spanish flu. Today you and I are heading back to March 1918. Charles Lindbergh hasn't flown across the Atlantic yet, so international travel isn't really a thing. There's definitely no cell phones, there's no color TV, electricity, even indoor plumbing to a large extent isn't ubiquitous yet. The U.S. was in the war for about a year at this point. The U.S. entered in April of 1917, so we're about one year in, and it's a very, very different world from today. We're going to go first to the middle of the United States, to Haskell County, Kansas, where some doctor's offices were reporting the first signs of an unusual flu. And then, by mid to late March of 1918, this flu had spread 300 miles down the road to Camp Funston, an army camp where troops were doing workups for World War I. And one morning, a soldier goes to sick call with the flu. About an hour later, another soldier comes in, same symptoms. A couple hours later, three more come in. A couple hours later, ten more come in. By the end of the evening, the earliest victims are dead and there's about dozens of soldiers crowding the hospital beds. Within days, there's thousands that have reported this illness. And then it's not just contained to Camp Funston. Due to troop movements, there's troops going all over the country to dozens of different army camps. The other army camps get it, and then they spread it to cities. So within days, there's thousands of cases across the U.S., Then from there, troops start crossing the Atlantic by ship to go to Europe. And these ships become self-contained virus traps. Like, everyone's sick, everyone's dying. Just horrific stories about crossing the Atlantic, heading to World War I. The troops that make it through, they of course bring the illness to Europe. And now we got France, Germany, Spain, all the countries over there, they're starting to come down with this illness by the thousands. When all was said and done between January 1918 and December 1919, 50 to 100 million people died. And keep in mind, the population of the world at this time was only 1.3 billion, or correction, 1.8 billion. So like less than a third of the size that it currently is. So one out of three people were infected across the globe. The U.S. population was 103 million in 1918, and a total of 650,000 Americans died from the Spanish flu. Now, big numbers like that, I just threw out a lot of numbers, and it's hard to wrap your head around that, especially to hear it. It might be different to see it, but the numbers are so big that they don't really make sense to our minds. But to put that in perspective, that 650,000 dead is more Americans dead than World War I, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam combined. So this was like unbelievably disruptive. It was more deadly than any war, plague, famine, or genocide in a one-year period ever. Something interesting to note about the Spanish flu is it's only called the Spanish flu 
because Spain was a neutral country during World War I, and therefore their papers published honest numbers about how many victims there were, whereas other countries were censoring and reporting a lot lower numbers so as not to give away their weakness to the, the other countries involved in the war. So yeah, Spain was actually not even the source of the flu, but it became the title of the flu. So it's a total misnomer. In many fundamental ways, the Spanish flu was sort of the opposite of the coronavirus. The symptoms were very fast, they were very obvious, and it affected people in their late 20s the most. So the, the death curve of most illnesses look like a U-shape. They're really high for people that are 10 and under, and they're really high for people that are over 60 or so, and then it, it drops a lot for people in their middle ages. Whereas the Spanish flu was unique in that people in their late 20s and early 30s died more than any other demographic. And the reason for that is because, of, because they had strong immune systems, there was this thing called the, the cytokine storm where the immune system releases a whole bunch of antibodies that just flooded the system and basically it caused a lot of fluid to build up in the lungs and people were drowning from the Spanish flu. So yeah, in, in a lot of ways, it was sort of the opposite of the coronavirus, which is insidious, it's slow, a lot of people are non-symptomatic, and uh, yeah, very unique illness. Anyways, enough about the Spanish flu. My source for all of this was YouTube, the internet, of course, but there was one in particular, uh, Dr. Bruce Fleury of Tulane University has a great courses plus course lecture series on YouTube. So I highly recommend if you're more interested in, in this, that's a great like one hour lecture. And then there's a whole bunch of other ones. I went down a rabbit hole, spent a lot of time studying this week. Super fascinating. Cambridge has a really good video and a whole lot of other. Wikipedia, of course, is a great source. And it's a, it's a really fascinating history and something that doesn't get talked about in proportion to its impact on history. Like I've, I told you how many casualties there were relative to war, how disruptive it was to the economy, and it, I didn't know much about it until I started studying it. People love to say that history repeats itself, that we've dealt with this before, and that's true to an extent, but it's also a little overly simplistic. It's, it's a little intellectually lazy because there are so many things that are totally unique about this, and like biologically we're the same species of course as we were a hundred years ago but technologically it's entirely different i mean they were doing things like cutting potatoes in half and putting the left half of the potato in their pocket and that was supposed to keep them safe or you know crazy stuff like that that of course scientifically we know to not be useful and and maybe we'll look back on our hand washing washing our hands with alcohol over and over and things like that, maybe we'll look back at that someday and realize that that isn't the best thing. I think the big lessons about this will be in relation to infrastructure and supply chains, like the just-in-time inventory for the grocery stores and restaurants and things like that just aren't going to cut it in disasters. And I think that certain technologies like 3D printing are going to facilitate the rapid and decentralized building of supplies on a on a short timeline going forward so things like that that will make 
this and future pandemics totally different. So right now, it's the morning of April 5th, 2020. As of the last report I saw, 8,600 Americans are dead from COVID-19. So to put that in perspective, if you're one of these people that still thinks that this is just the common flu, that means that the coronavirus has already killed more people than 20 years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. And by Wednesday, like 72 hours from now, coronavirus will have taken more lives than both of those wars and September 11th combined. So this thing is already insanely disruptive, not to mention the, what is it, 13 million unemployed so far, all the restaurants that are going to be gone, all of the massive, massive change, massive turnover in capital between generations, between countries that is about to happen. And anyways, this is all to say that next week, this week was a look back. Next week, I'm going to be looking forward to some of the things that are going to come out of this. And it's going to be a rough period going forward. But in short, I think that it's going to be the nudge that pushes us into a truly 21st century economy. We got 5G, AI, quantum computing, renewable energy, all these things are converging and people are starting to take the leap to working remotely. And anyways, I'm very excited. I think that we're on the precipice of a totally new way of life. And I think after we get through this, there's going to be a lot of beautiful stuff that happens in the world. And it's going to be hard to put it into one episode, but I'm going to, yeah, I'm excited. So hope you're staying safe out there. And something unique that I wanted to point out about this is in most crises, they recommend you to go out and support the economy, do something, volunteer, clean up, help out, whatever it is. In this particular case, the thing that they're recommending that you do is stay home and do nothing. Stay away from other people. And so, yeah, take advantage of this time and know that by staying at home, you're doing the best thing you can do to keep yourself and your family members, particularly vulnerable family members, safe. So, yeah, stay home, be productive, read, watch YouTube videos, and uh, enjoy the time as you can. Done for now.